Welcome back to the Broncos Avenue Podcast. It's your host, Amir, with my co-host, Jordan, today on to, uh, Tuesday afternoon. Um, obviously, we're going to go over some stuff today. Um, we're going to go over the Jim Harbaugh news, uh, what the Broncos are doing to uh, potentially get him, other head coach candidates, how we feel about the head coaches around the NFL, um, Russell Wilson and new news about him, um, and kind of going over that. But before we jump into all that and more today, uh, we just want to go ahead and um, address this DeMar Hamlet situation. It's the least we can do. Um, it would be you know, disrespectful to not you know, talk about the situation before we jump into everything else Broncos related and um, all that. So obviously last night, man, um, we'll just get like as real as we can get. Last night I, I uh, threw my Jamar Chase jersey on. I was getting ready to watch the Bills um Bills and Bengals game and um I walk away from the TV for like three seconds, come back, and I just see Josh Allen holding his his uh you know his face and you know disbelief. Players, you know, their mouths, jaws just dropped, players shedding tears. I I just wanna, you know, send my deepest condolences and all the love in the world for the Buffalo Bills organization right now, DeMar Hamlin himself, most importantly, and his entire family, you know, siblings, you know, parents, guardians, everything. I, I'm, I'm completely shocked. I'm not going to lie. The rest of my, the rest of my night, I just, I felt, you know, sick to my stomach. I felt this is something we've never, have never, ever seen before in the history of sports. I don't, anything that comes close to this is the Ryan Shazier incident. Um, obviously, if you guys don't know, um, you know, huge news last night during the game. Um, T. Higgins caught a pass from Joe Burrow. Uh, you know, rookie safety Demar Hamlin uh, out of Pittsburgh for the Buffalo Bills makes a tackle, and he gets up, stands up for about a second or so, and immediately falls down. Um, and you know, the immediate thought was he was paralyzed. But it came out in uh, reports this morning that he suffered cardiac arrest on the field and stopped breathing. They're performing CPR for nine straight minutes. I've never in my life seen a medical team run that fast, you know, and all these players crying. Stefan Diggs, Trey White, um, uh, Neil, number 33 for the Bills. I saw him cry. It was unbelievable man like i'm even just talking about it right now it hurts to talk about it like this is more than football man this is more than football yeah uh same for me um <clears throat> sending my prayers to you know hamlin himself and you know his whole family you know I, yeah I, I never seen nothing like that before um you know when the hit first happened i thought it was you know um I, he got up pretty quickly i'm thinking he's fine i thought he probably was a little shaking up because it was a big hit and then you know you just see him kind of fall over um, I had just gotten off work and I was watching the game on my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it, it was crazy. I hadn't, I never seen nothing like it. Just, I mean, and to see everybody's reaction on the field, you know, like the players, Stefan Diggs, like you said, Josh Allen, and then all the guys kind of coming off of both benches and everything like that. It was just something you never seen before. Yeah. I, I know, um, last night, you know, we could we could talk about all these idiots like Skip Bayless and these morons, absolute idiots, blaming on the vaccine and stuff. 
I'm not going to even jump into all that. None of that matters right now because the only thing that matters is DeMar Hamlin. He's still in critical condition in the University of Cincinnati Hospital. Um, and, you know, obviously, as a lot of you guys know, they uh, suspended the game. They had the players go to the locker room. Absolute, you know, utmost respect for Sean McDermott and Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor walked across the field and told Sean McDermott, you know, we're not going to go through this game. There's too much, you know, right now emotionally for the players that, you know, they can't just bounce back from something like this. I saw people saying, I saw people saying that, you know, they should, they're getting paid millions to do this. They need to, this is a job that they're doing. They need to resume this game. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, they're getting a CPR on the field. I mean, that's pretty – that's traumatizing enough. I mean, you can't just say, all right, we're going to get like – the, like they try to do, you know, um, we're going to give you five minutes and then you guys, you know, they're going to warm up and get back on the field. It's just – it's ridiculous. I mean, I mean, I can go on for people all day. People are mad about their fantasy lineups and everything like that and, that you know, how big the game was, the magnitude of the game, like Skip Bayless said. It's just it's sickening almost. Like, it's a man's life on the line and y'all are more worried about – the game being entertaining and how the AFC playoff picture is going to pan out. Like no one cares about that, man. His life, his life is is on the line. They almost saw their brother die right in front of them on the field. And you want to, you want to tell them if imagine you were in their, their shoes right there, a player that they went to, you know, bloodshed tears on the, on the, in practice every single day, training camp. And, you expect them you expect them to just watch their brother get carted off not knowing if he's going to you know make it and play the rest of the game like that that's that's bs man that, that's that's bs but you know all those people you you genuinely are the weirdest people out there i'm not going to even speak on you not going to even call out specific people we could see her all day doing that but what are we getting out of that i mean Demar Hamlin's the only person that matters in the situation. I'm pulling for Demar Hamlin. Um, you know he's still in critical condition. And for the listeners out there listening to this podcast, if you um, are one that believes in a higher power, please send your prayers to Demar Hamlin because nobody should ever have to go through this. Man, just 24 hours ago, he was, you know, obviously living his NFL dream, sixth round pick you know, getting paid to do what he loves. And he was, you know, hugging his mother right before this game and then goes out there on the field, you know, um, battling for a playoff spot, you know, so much on the line. And then this happens. Never, He never would have expected this when he woke up, you know, yesterday morning. And now when he wakes up to, you know, this morning, he's he's battling for his life, man. He's battling for his life. This is This is crazy. Yeah, I mean, especially with uh, Ryan Clark, you know, what he said last night too is beautiful, you know. I mean, they're they're yeah. humans too. They're not just at, you know, they're not just athletes, you know. It's not just a show, you know. These are people's, you know, lives, you know, and you know, he he was talking about, you know, how you know, they go out there and say, uh, you know, they're putting their life on the line in this game and everything like that. I mean, that stuff's real. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, prayers go out to him and his family and it's looking like hopefully it's looking like he'll be okay. He said his yeah. vitals are back to normal and everything like that. So we'll see. Yeah. yeah, good news there, man. I mean, they said he he stopped breathing on the field. So that that in itself is scary. And then the CPR unit, we've never seen anything like this in sports ever. So very scary, man. Um yeah, just biggest biggest prayers to him and his family. I can't you can't even imagine to process what they're thinking right now and everything that they went through. 
Um, and it, the entire Bills team, I'm pulling for them. I mean, they, they they need to take as much time as they can this week before they even think about stepping onto a football field again. Um, so, yeah, with that being said, um, let's go ahead and uh, transition into uh, some Jim Harbaugh news for the Denver Broncos. Um, so we got some uh, reports uh, yesterday by multiple uh, sources, mainly pro football talk, Mike Florio. Um, they said that the Broncos have actually already reached out to Jim Harbaugh to uh, inquire about potential um, parting for the Broncos' vacant head coach position. Um, already interesting. Greg Penner is wasting no time. He said, "I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and start this search now. We're gonna go ahead and start talking to candidates now, um, especially ones that are available like Jim Harbaugh." So, yeah, the Broncos have already reached out to him, and it's been reported. Um, by Colin Cowherd. Uh, this is just a rumor. I'm not too, you know, uh, reliable. I wouldn't say Colin Cowherd is too credible, but he did say the Broncos have already offered Jim Har- or are already preparing to offer Jim Harbaugh north of $20 million per year. That is insane for a head coach. I mean, you hardly even see top quarterbacks in the league get offered that much. So, I mean, this is crazy. But, you know, that's mainly coming out of, uh, you know, the Walter Penner ownership group's uh, pocket. Um, obviously, Jim Harbaugh, someone, a guy that you want. Um, what what would you say on this situation? How do you feel about him potentially coming here? And how would you make the case for Jim Harbaugh, in a, you know, as the Broncos' next head coach? Because I know some people are skeptical of going the college coach route, uh, you know, this uh, head coach search. Well, I was, I mean, <clears throat> for everybody who doesn't really know, Jim Harbaugh was in the NFL, went to Super Bowls and had, I think his record was 44-19-1. and one. Um, You know, if I was just pitching to Harbaugh, I'd say, man, you know, you know, I think the other jobs are the Colts and then you got the Panthers. So I'll just say, basically, you know, we, we have our quarterback situation figured out, you know, better than those teams. Um, you, you, you already have an established defense, a top three defense, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have great players at skill positions. I mean, it's not really – he's going to come here and he's not going to really have to rebuild. The main thing he's going to have to fix is the culture. I mean, obviously going to have to fix the offensive issues. Um, but I think, you know, as a coach, you know, I feel like Denver should should be somewhat of a hot target. I mean, we got some of the picks back. <clears throat> we have a first-round pick, two-thirds. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, you got a top-five defense. You got Russell Wilson. You got some weapons for him to get the ball to. Everything's about staying healthy. And, I mean, he's got things to work with if he comes here. I mean, that'd be my pitch to him. I mean, you already got the defense figured out. You just got to figure out – try to figure out, you know, things with a Hall of Fame quarterback. So, um, but I will say yeah. – oh, nah, I will say for the um, the $20 million a year thing, I think Broncos do need to be careful a little bit because um, one thing I will say about Jim Harbaugh is well, a lot of people don't know, when he was in San Francisco, he wasn't even calling the plays. I think if you bring in Jim Harbaugh, it's more of a – it's not at more of a – Okay, he's going to come in and immediately fix the offense. He's probably going to bring in a guy maybe from Michigan or a guy that used to be on his old staff, uh, Greg Roman. People, a lot of people don't know he was a guy that was calling the plays in San Francisco when Harbaugh was there. Um, he mm-hmm. would call the plays majority of the downs, and then Harbaugh would kind of check it off and things like that. But that's just something to look out for for all the people that don't know. Harbaugh doesn't really call plays like that. I mean, even at Michigan, they got two guys that are co-office coordinators that, I mean, if he does get hired to Denver, I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to bring one of them on. I think his name is Matt Weiss. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. But I, I do think him coming here is going to change the culture for sure. It just – we just we just need to hope that he's going to bring somebody over that can call the plays and that him and the guy that can call the plays can coexist and still do a good job. 
Yeah, if, if you know if Harbaugh does come here, I don't want him calling plays. Um, I just want him to focus on you know simply being a coach. I know we mm-hmm. both talked about that. Some really interesting uh, insight by you there. I mean, uh, you know Greg Roman. A lot of a lot of Ravens fans have him under fire this season. Uh, I know that for sure. Um, Greg Greg Roman without Lamar Jackson is basically a McDonald's worker. I mean, he hasn't been he hasn't done the greatest job. Uh, it seems like he's probably going to be on his way out. Maybe oh. you know. No, no, I was gonna say, I will say, I mean, he doesn't really have that much to work with. I mean, when you really think about it, I mean, it's not yeah. like, you know, going into this, you know, the season, the Ravens receiving core was just, you know, the highlight of their team. You know, they have Mark Andrews and Bateman's not even there. So you're going with, I think it's, you know, Devin Duvernay's out now too. So you're going with Sammy Watkins, Demarcus Robinson, and Deshaun Jackson. And that's, you're not probably going to win that many games with that receiving core. So, I mean, in the past, nobody's really been complained about him. I mean, he has to run a specific system that fits Lamar Jackson. Um, but I think, I don't know. I, I don't think he's that bad as everybody makes it seem. I think the Ravens are just kind of, you know, going at him. You know, he's just going to probably be the fall guy. But, I mean, Greg Roman, I mean, he did some pretty good things in San Francisco. I mean, Harbaugh had, him and Harbaugh had some really good success in a tough division. And he forty four nineteen. I can't complain about that. Yeah, I I love Jim, I would love Jim Harbaugh here in Denver. I'm really um curious to see how this is gonna pan out. I know I saw a report that um Sean Payton's gonna ask for twenty five million plus a year. So it's crazy how the market's rising on these these uh these big time head coaches. Man, it's crazy. Uh, you know, just a few years ago we were seeing it'd be surprising if you see saw a head coach sign for like five million a year. Um, I believe Hackett's deal was four years, um, sixteen million. I'm, I I could be I could be completely wrong on that, but somewhere around there. Um, I, I know it was a four year deal, but yeah, it's crazy how these deals are jumping on man. Like Harbaugh could seriously get like a four year eighty million dollar deal, like around there. That's insane. That's like something you give to like a top, you know, guard and free agency or like a top, you know, it's like what Christian Kirk is basically making somewhere around there. So yeah, it's 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 crazy, man. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, either one of those two would be perfectly fine with me. I'm just saying, you know, if you're gonna pay him that much, you just got to make sure he brings in the right staff around him. Exactly. You, you have to. I mean, you can't just have him bring. I mean, I, I'm not really with the bring in the college, you know, coordinators and have them try to run this NFL offense that's already struggling. I wouldn't really do that. I would just. That's why I say. I mean, if I had to pick any coach, it probably would be Sean Payton, just because he already he's an offensive guru. Him, he'll figure it out with Russ easily. But, I mean, mm-hmm. I would love Jim Harbaugh. I mean, we need a culture change. We need it. Let me, let me ask you, would you – a lot of people have been debating on this, especially Broncos country. Would you rather get Jim Harbaugh or would you trade the first for Sean Payton? I would – I mean, me, I would trade the first for Sean Payton because I think with Sean Payton, you're getting – you're getting a guy who has had the number one offense multiple times. I mean, you look with Drew Brees. I mean, he's turned guys that we've – and he's also very good at drafting. A lot of people don't realize that. I mean, he's taken a lot of late-round picks and turned them into high-value players. You look at Marcus Colston, Jimmy Graham, Alvin Kamara. I mean, he's done it before. I think um, him and Russell Wilson, he's going to try – he's going to probably – it's not going to be like the same type of New Orleans offense because, you know, Brees was a – Two, you know, two drops that passer in the pocket and all that, making big time throws down the field. Him and Russ are kind of similar, just Russ is more mobile. But I think mm-hmm. Sean Payton will be it'll be amazing here in Denver. Change, I mean, and he he'll still he will still change the culture. I mean, because you got to realize he from the Saints, he wasn't really losing like that. I mean, it was a period of time where he was losing, but for most of the time they were winning. 
Yeah, I mean, talk about a, a culture change. You can't really go wrong with either one, but getting Sean Payton would be work wonders for your offense because that's what you want right now. That's what you need to fix on this team. That's what's been riddling us for, since Peyton Manning went to the Super Bowl. Um, I I think the number one thing here and number one question Broncos fans need to ask themselves right now, would you – what is more important for this team or just for any NFL team? Um would you rather get a wide receiver corner tackle in the first round that would potentially impact this team from the you know immediate future or would you use that first round pick to get a guy that could shift your entire franchise around for potentially the next half decade what would be more beneficial for your team long term and even short term to help out Russell Wilson who is looking not too well, you know, just his first, uh, you know, tenure with the Broncos. That's a that's a question a lot of Broncos fans need to ask themselves. What is better for their immediate future and the long-term future? Is it just one, you know, tackle that's going to solve our right tackle problems? Or is it one head coach is going to step in and immediately fix this offense and Russell Wilson? So yeah, yeah. if you're if you're saying, I don't want to trade first for Sean Payton, look in the mirror and ask yourself that question. I mean, plus it. I don't think it would even be the first this. It, I don't. It, I don't know if it's gonna be either the first this year or the first next year. It's a good point. It's a good I mean, point. I mean, just think about it this way: if we trade the first next year, that first. I mean, we get Sean Payton. We're gonna win more games. He's gonna figure out this offense. Russ is gonna go back to the Russ that we know. I mean, it's just it's a pretty much a given. I mean, you're getting a guru. He's gonna bring his own staff with him. And he's gonna establish a, a tone in that locker room, and that's something that we need. I mean, yeah, I mean, you could get a first round pick. I mean, either way, say say we get Jim Harbaugh. I mean, it's gonna be an upgrade. We'll probably make the playoffs, and that pick is just gonna be around the 24, 25 range. You know, our record and everything like that. And yeah, I mean, we'll probably get somebody good. But you get Sean Payton, you get somebody that's gonna be here long term. Doesn't matter, you know. Even if Russ leaves, we're gonna have a just a consistent good offense. I mean, look what he did with Jameis Winston. As soon as he left, the Saints' offense completely fell apart. I mean, I'm giving up that first. It's I fair. mean, I'm giving up it's, that first. It, it it comes close to me if I would if I would rather just trade the first for Sean Payton or I would just you know give Jim Harbaugh his money and move forward. But I mean, Sean Payton, I want to say significantly better than Jim Harbaugh, but in the NFL, he kind of is. So I mean. I, I would I would trade the first for Sean in today's before. NFL in, in today's yeah. NFL yeah he's more important because everything's True. trending everything's trending towards offense I mean you see like us we have a top defense but it's not getting us anywhere so we're gonna have to you gonna have to just attack offense I mean because if we get hardball it, it'll be great but we still need to it's still about ensuring who's gonna call the right plays and who's gonna be the best guy to coach Russ. I really, I just, my biggest thing is I really hope we're not just having this conversation, conversation, hyping ourselves up for something that's unrealistic because it seems like every year we get ourselves hyped up for something and then it turns out that player or coach doesn't even have interest in Denver. Last year it was Aaron Rodgers and the year before it was Aaron Rodgers. Um, and now this year it feels like it's uh, Sean Payton and Jim Harbaugh to potentially just settle for like a Dan Quinn or someone, which I would absolutely hate. I, I actually think the ownership is going to strike big this time, though. I just have, for some reason, it's no sources or anything. I just have a feeling, a gut feeling, that the ownership is going to do everything in their power to give the resources and do everything they can to make successfully convince a big-time coach to come to Denver. 
Um, Sean Payton still feels like a long shot, if I'm being honest, but I think Jim Harbaugh is getting more realistic by the day. I mean, I'll tell you this, we we do have the wealthiest owners in the league. If I'm I think I'm correct, but we have the wealthiest owners in the league. So I mean money's not an issue. Yeah, I mean, money's not an issue. I'm telling you right now, they're they're willing to harb if they're willing to offer Harbaugh 20 million, Sean Payton's gonna be probably around 27. I mean, they're and plus you got to give up that pick. I mean, I mean, I, I kind of feel like they know they have to go big. I mean, you don't want to hire a coordinator or a guy that's unproven. They're gonna go after somebody. I, I think, I think worst case scenario is Frank Reich. I just that's me. I think worst case scenario is gonna be Frank Reich. I don't really see them going any other direction. I'll be shocked if they hire a coordinator. I'll be shocked, but yeah, yeah I think it's, it's it's worst case scenario is Frank Reich best is Sean Payton. Yeah, and the thing that kind of makes me feel that way is because this is an ownership group that I'm not going to say they don't have any NFL experience because the ownership group as a, uh, as a group, you know, a lot of Broncos fans don't realize it, but there's actually a lot of NFL knowledge in that ownership group, believe it or not, um, especially with Condoleezza Rice. Um, she was actually in the running to become uh, like around the um, NFL co commissioner spot or somewhere in that, you know, top, you know, part of the um, NFL organization. So that's just crazy in itself. She's working for, you know, the Walter, a part of the Walter Penner ownership group. A lot of those guys, they, they know a lot about the NFL relationships, big thing, you know, networking in the NFL is a, a big thing. So they can pull some strings to get a, a guy that they want to be the next head coach for the Broncos. Also with all this money and this ownership group, especially Greg Penner, not knowing too much about the NFL, I highly doubt he's gonna, you know, go in this next head coach search and be like, "Yeah, give me a, a Shane Steichen, and give me a um, a Dan Quinn." You know, I, I really don't think he's gonna go that route. I, I feel like they they have all this money in their pocket, and they're like, "Man, I can't wait to get a big time candidate to win over this fan base and really get this thing turned around in the, um, you know, in the correct, you know." direction that's supposed to be going get this thing back on track to the broncos winning tradition it should be you know on so i i, I honestly that's that's kind of my reason what i'm what's going through my head and why i think the organization um the ownership group is going to really try to score big in this next head coach search uh ian rapport has reiterated multiple times um you know on the on you know uh nfl network that the Broncos are going to swing big. They're going to swing big on this head coach search. So that's something to keep Broncos fans excited about. Uh, yeah, no, nah, I will say that um, I think when they made the trade for Russ, they were kind of thinking that Russ was going to be around for like at least – Russ was 33, I think, when we traded for him, and I think they were probably hoping Russ was going to be around like until he was like 38, 39. But I yeah. will say after seeing the season Russ had, he's not the pocket passer that we all thought he was. So I'm just going to put it out there. He's not going to be around to, in my opinion, that long, I'll say Russ probably he'll finish out his extension and that may be the end of Russ in Denver or just maybe the end of his career. Cause I mean, he's not the pocket passer that we thought he was. I mean, don't get me wrong. He could prove us wrong again this season and just go off. But I'm just saying, I think that's, you know, I think on the ownership group, they're kind of like, okay, he, it's not looking like Russ is, you know, the guy long-term that we thought he was. And I think that's why they're probably hyping themselves up. Like, okay, we got to get this, we got to get this big name head coach. You got to get this guy that's going to come in here, help us win now. Because in my opinion, I think with Russ, we're going to have, we have like a four-year window. We have like, I mean, realistically like a four or five-year window. We want to win any type of Super Bowl or even get there. And one year is already out the window. And now you're looking at a new head coach. So yeah, I'm pretty sure they're, that's part of the reason why they're going at, you know, they're going after a big name head coach so aggressively. 
Yeah. Speaking of Russ, um, let's go ahead and shift away from the head coach talk for just a second. We're going to go ahead and talk about the Russell Wilson presser that he had um, after the Broncos game against the uh, the Chiefs. Um, so obviously a lot, you know, I want to address this. A lot of people, um, had Russ under fire, um, just, you know, attacking his personal life and whatnot. We've spoke on it before, but, um, it was a different field this last week because lots of Broncos players came out in Russell Wilson's defense on, you know, Twitter, Garrett Bowles, obviously had a post on Instagram, um, just completely defending Russ, giving him, you know, all the support, calling him one of the, you know, most inspirational, hardworking teammates they've ever, you know, worked with. Um, and, you know, that that's saying a lot, especially from a guy like Jerry Judy. Um, obviously, Russ, one of the biggest workers in the NFL, but Jerry Judy was a part of that Alabama culture where he worked with lots of, you know, great teammates that worked their, their tails off to get um, to that spot and into the NFL to uh, obviously one a, a really, really hard worker. Um, he dedicates his life to this game. Um, so, yeah, I want to kind of um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, put the um, the presser on the screen um, just for you guys have, uh, you know, um, after we talk about this, uh, this little um, interview, you know, answer that Russell Wilson gives the media, a very emotional response. I want to talk about this um, just so you guys have a um, reference as to uh, the video that we're talking about. Um, <clears throat> it meant the world to me. Um, uh, it meant the world to me because I, I give my all every day. I don't know anything less. And uh, so I'm grateful for these guys because, um, you know, they worked their bucks off. And for them to have my back, Jerry, he means the world to me how much he's worked at his, at his craft every day. Um, you know, Kendall, KJ, Tim Patrick, Cortland, uh, other guys, um, you know. Um, and, you know, all I want to do is help, help this team win and us find a way to do it. And I know we're going to overcome all those obstacles. And I'm not going to blink. Because I know who I am, I know who I know the dedication I have to this game, and how much, how much, it, how much it means to me. It's meant the world to me since I was yay high, when I was throwing my dad's football when he played for the uh, for the Chargers, and he had a, you know, painted up football when I was in the in the family room breaking glass and all that, and uh, throwing throwing the ball to my brother. Uh, the game means just as much as it did back then, and um, it means just as much now, if not more. And it's because of those guys in the locker room and their love. Um, like, you know, Garrett Bowles isn't even playing, but what he meant to me, what he said, and so many other guys. Um, so, like I said, I believe, and all I want to do is, is help this team. And we're going to go somewhere, and I'm excited about it. And uh, it's going to be worth it. Yeah, so that's just uh, – um, you could tell he's just pouring his emotions into that response, man, seriously, because he, you could tell that he gets choked up at the beginning just talking about how much, how much that meant to him, man. Like just that, just those first ten seconds, him saying, you know, how much those guys meant to me, how much it meant a lot to me. Those words right there, man. That's those are that's strong because Russell Wilson's a guy that all season long he's been, you know, let's ride Broncos country, let's ride. You know, smiling to the media all the time, but you can see him for the first time really show true emotion in in, in one of his press conferences. Um, it, it was it was kind of hard to see because as a Broncos fan going, you know, on social media, um, seeing all these things, you know, people coming after Sierra for whatever reason, coming after his subway commercials, coming after, you know, him being corny. Um, he doesn't deserve this, man. I'm tired of this. We talk about this almost every week in the podcast. I'm tired 
of the constant personal attacks on Russell Wilson. I understand his play on the field hasn't been what we wanted and what we anticipated, but coming after his personal life and him being corny and, you know, I don't know if he's received death threats or anything. He probably has, but, you know, saying he has more bathrooms in his house and uh, touchdown passes like, dude, we're reaching so hard. And, you know, Russell Wilson is just a human like all of us. But yeah, it was it was just really, it kind of hurt to be honest. I'm not gonna lie, it kind of hurt to see him say it. that meant a lot to me because those are this you know Jared Judy going on Twitter for just a few seconds to say how much Jared, um, Russell Wilson meant to him, and then Russell Wilson saying that that meant a lot to me. You could tell he's going through it this year, man. He sees all this. You can tell he's going through it, man. I hate to see it. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of see throughout the season, you know him and the offense haven't been in the best chemistry. I mean, you could kind of see them on the sideline, you know, a little bit looking at them funny, you know. I'm pretty sure it's been it's been an up and down season with him and the whole offense, you know, in terms of, you know, how they've been feeling, especially because the offense hasn't been good. But, uh, you know, I will say, I think, you know, everybody just finally realized, like, this isn't a Drew Locke. This isn't a Teddy Bridgewater. Like, he's our quarterback, and he's going to be our quarterback for the foreseeable future while they're in Denver. So I think, you know, for them them coming out and them speaking up for him, then, you know, talking about, you know, how, how hard he works. Because, I mean, he is a hard worker. I give him that. He has a hard work ethic. I mean, all the stuff he's doing for that team. You know, I'm just glad they finally did it. I mean, because all year he's been just scrutinized for every little thing he does, any corny thing, just anything. It's just been put it – I mean – and people talk about Hackett's the fall guy. I mean, yeah, Hackett's the fall guy, but that doesn't mean Russ hasn't taken any blame. Russ is almost the whole season people have been saying he's at fault with Hackett. So, you know, it was just, it was just glad, you know, to see that everybody came to his help and, you know, kind of defended him, you know, defended their quarterback. And for Russ, you know, this all has to just be motivation. Yeah. All of it has to, I mean, for next season and, you know, to finish this last game out strong, but – I mean, it, it has to be motivation for him next season. I mean, because this year it was terrible. But, you know, just seeing that the offense got his back, it's, it's good to see. Yeah. Uh, really, I don't think I've seen a press conference like that from any Broncos player in a while. I mean, that you could tell that the, a lot of that was getting to him, and I hate to, I hate to see that. But um, it was really cool, that, uh, you know, for him to say in the pre- – you know, towards the end, he says, you know, Garrett Bowles isn't even playing the season, but he still came out and defended me. You know, that was really cool to see. Um, and then at the end, he gave, you know, some encouraging words to Broncos country that, you know, they're going to get this thing turned around. Um, and that, you know, once it once they do turn it around, it's going to be a really cool thing to see. So, um, yeah, that's kind of our, our thoughts on Russell Wilson on in that press conference. Um, so uh, going away from that, top five head, uh, top five NFL head coaches um, in the league. Um, Sean Payton currently isn't employed, so we're not going to talk about we're not going to include him in the list. But top five head coaches in the league. Uh, what, do, what do you got? Um, for starters, I mean, obviously I'll go Bill Belichick. I think he's definitely top two. I mean, I'll give him one just cause you know, the experience he has and he's still Bill Belichick. Um, number two, I mean, my favorite head coach in the league is Kyle Shanahan. Number two. I mean, look what he's doing with a third string quarterback undefeated. He's, I mean, he's got everybody thinking Brock Purdy is actually like, this is actually a NFL, like almost a superstar pro bowl quarterback. I mean, Brock Purdy is dealing and that's all cause of Kyle Shanahan. I mean, um, number three. I'll go this season. Ooh, this is so tough. Um, I'll give it to Nick. I- I'll say – no, I- oh, I'm tripping. Andy Reid. I'm going to go Andy Reid. Andy Reid's obviously up there. Um, hmm. 
This is tough. Mike Tomlin. I put Mike Tomlin at four and then five. Mm. Five, I'll give it to. It's tough. It's tough. I'll go with Nick Sirianni for right now. He's done a pretty good job in family. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'll give it wow. to Nick Sirianni right now. My top five, uh, one, Belichick, two, Andy Reid, three, Kyle Shanahan, four, Mike Tomlin, and five, Sean McVay. I, I think Sean McVay, um, it's, been a, it's been a pretty rough year with all the injuries and stuff. We can't really put this one too much on him. He might be gone after this year, retired, so that's that's crazy to think about. Um, just a young coaching career. He already got that Super Bowl that he wants, so, I mean, um, if Aaron Donald and guys leave, then he's probably gone as well, so that's, that's, that's crazy. Rams might be in a rebuild, so... Um, it's kind of crazy because like teams will make the Super Bowl and it's like they almost always have to rebuild unless they're a dynasty like the what the Patriots were and what the Chiefs are now. So that's it's kind of crazy to think about. Um, yeah, that's uh that's gonna be kind of it for today's episode. Obviously, the Demar Hamlin situation went over. Jim Harbaugh to Denver. Um, Sean Payton news. Top five head coaches in the league. Um, and obviously the Russell Wilson. Um, opinions on him going over this last week. Um, any other any other Broncos news? Any other things we need to hit on um, for this um, episode? Yeah, I, I'm gonna ask you a question. Um, where would you rank Russ right now in the league among all quarterbacks? Russ in the league. So would I would I go over his entire career, like his personal skill level, or would I go over his 2022 season? Um, I mean, just kind of like. A collection of almost everything, like overall, like where are you ranking them? I would go. The only question I'm asking myself in the head is how many quarterbacks are actually better than him individually? Like, I would say after this season, I don't know how much I can really put it on him. You know, I would put him like, I think he's, I think he's a top 20 quarterback. I don't think he's. I don't think he's a bottom of the league like people are saying. Um, I think his individual skill set just relies too much on a system, though. So it's hard to really, you know, rank Russell Wilson just himself because I feel like, as cliche as it might sound, I think he's kind of a system quarterback. I, I really do think R- Russell Wilson, and it's at the same time he's almost like not a system quarterback. He's he's so off script. That's the best way to put Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is at his best when he's off script. He he loves spinning in the pocket. He loves utilizing, you know, an offensive line in a way that not many quarterbacks ever had. Um and I want to kind of tie this into uh, you know something as well. Um lots of people are, you know, looking at his stats that he's just the most uh sacked quarterback in, you know, since he got drafted, you know, out of any 10 year span or 11 year span since out of any quarterback all time, how much do you really put that on his offensive line? How how much would you really put that on his offensive line? You know, addressing him as a quarterback. Um, A lot of it. I mean, that's not, I mean, yeah, he was off script and he ran out the pocket a lot, but that doesn't mean off some, you watch some Seattle games, Russell's running for his life. Or it was some plays that he even tried to stay in the pocket, but he couldn't because he's running for his life. And then as soon as he leaves, they go out and get a, a left tackle and a right tackle. And that's some of the best ones at the position that they had in years. Um, I'm putting a lot of it on it. I mean, even this year, geez, his off the offensive line this year was just absolutely terrible. So, I mean, yeah, I'm going to give a lot of it on his offensive line. I'm not going to say that he's the reason that he's getting sacked a lot. I mean, 
I mean, I, I just feel like Russ kind of got, I mean, if, if you look at Russ's best throws, kind of, you know, going in from the young part, the younger part of his career when he first got in Seattle, a lot of those throws are made standing in the pocket and airing it out deep, you know, airing it out deep, airing it out quick, True. like quick, hard throwing throws across the middle of the field. And then as he just kept going to Seattle, he just got used to the offensive line falling apart. And then that's when Russ kind of got off script, you know, being an off script quarterback, moving in and out the pocket, throwing, you know, just side, mostly side, like like mostly deep ball throws or just sideline throws because he's always on the move, going left, right. That's why, you know, you look at his chart in Seattle, he rarely completed any passes over the middle of the field. Why is that? He didn't have an offensive line. He couldn't stand in the pocket and make a throw across the middle of the field. Everything was going left to right. So I think in Denver this year, it was a harder – I'm not making any excuses for him, but I think in Denver this year, it was just a harder adjustment for him because beginning of the season when they were actually doing pretty good, he was just so used to making a sideline throw. That's why you kind of see him – he hiked the ball, looked first read, and he's throwing the ball. Mm-hmm. And that is, But I think coming into next year, everything will be better. I don't, I don't think we're going to see this battle, Russell Wilson. Um, as far as I rank him – I, I still put Russ around the top 15 range. I'm not going to say he's like near 20. I think, I mean, he's had a terrible season, but I mean, quarterbacks have had bad seasons. Um, mm-hmm. I, Me personally, I'm still taking him over guys like, I would still take Russ over guys like Dak just because of the expectations. Guys like, I'll say, I mean, Kirk Cousins having an unbelievable season, but I, I, I got to see Kirk get it over the hump. Um, I'll take him guys over like that, but I, I still have Russ around like 12, 13. I mean, going into the season, based on what I've seen from him in Seattle, I had Russ at five, and that I was wrong. I, I admit I was wrong about that. So, yeah, I, I still say he's around like the 13, 15 range. See, I don't, I think his offensive line, Seattle, is overhated. I, I, I'm probably in the, I'm in the minority here, but I think is, yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you. Yeah, he was running for his life at times, but I mean, I feel like he he was so good at throwing, you know, on the right and left hashes that he he just doesn't see over his offensive line sometimes in the middle of the field. I I think he just spin, he spins in the pocket. He was spinning in the pocket too much, and he doesn't really process a field like how many NFL quarterbacks do. And I mean, that's okay if you're gonna be a great deep ball player. Then that make that kind of makes up for it. And you you have great ac- accuracy, then that makes up for it. But he just wasn't that this year. Um, also, I think the Broncos' offensive line wasn't a big issue up until the bye week. Um, I'll, that might also be a hot take, but after mm-hmm. the bye week, I, that's when they kind of really, really fell off, f- fell off a cliff. Um, then these last few weeks, obviously, you guys listen to the podcast. You guys know that I believe this O line is so garbage. Like, I think the only guy that should be brought it, brought back is Quinn Miners in the entire lineup. The entire lineup, not even a single back backup, should be brought back. That yeah. that's how unbelievable this offensive line has been trash. I mean, look, I before the season, I went and watched mostly all of Russ's highlights, and when he was when he first got in Seattle, he wasn't. I mean, he was running around, but a a, a lot of his throws came from just him standing in the pocket and him airing it out and him being accurate, dropping back. Accurate. It was a lot of accuracy. I I just think you got to go back and watch those games. You could just see, like, the thing about Russ, what made him also so good is he could feel the pressure. He could feel like, okay, I got about one second, but if 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 I wait this one second to see, nobody's going to be open, that's when he would just get out of there. I mean, his tackles was just getting beat off the line. I mean, especially in that division. You got Aaron, at the time, you had Aaron Donald, Chandler Jones. I mean, God, I mean, he was just – it was bad. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It, it was really bad. I mean, he was getting sacked. 
I'm surprised Russ wasn't as hurt as he was. I mean, I mean, but also I would say in Seattle, his receivers were really good. They were really underrated. I mean, I seen that leaving that Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are they're still good. amazing. Yeah, they're still amazing. I mean, and even if you look back on it, when he had Doug Baldwin, Percy Harvin, Jermaine Curse, I mean. A lot of people don't put a lot of respect on those guys, but those guys was key to Russ's success too. But yeah, I I will say that see it most of his like most of that offensive line stuff is true. His, his offensive line in Seattle was just I mean you can ask any Seattle fan it wasn't that good. I mean they 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 went out and revamped that offensive line and look at Geno he had all the it was it was someplace he had time to sit there and make his reads and make throws. Russ didn't have that at all, at least for the after the Super Bowl. See, my thing is, I felt like he was whole. He a big issue with him his whole career is he holds on to the ball too long. He holds on to the ball too long, yeah, and that's another thing with his his processing. It takes more time than a, a average quarterback should, and that's why he gets sacked. I mean, another thing is too, and I agree with you. I was watching Seattle tape the other day, and some of his best deep throws are literally just from sitting back there in the pocket, taking maybe one or two drops, and boom, delivers a dime. But he just can't get out the balls. You know, super fast, like we would want a quarterback to to do. Um, another thing is the way he utilizes the pocket is not like hardly any quarterbacks do, and it's super hard for offensive line to block when he, your quarterback's moving like that. When he's rolling out of the pocket, it's hard for uh, right tackle to maintain his one on one and not get a hold at the same time. I mean, imagine if you're just an offensive lineman, you're trying to do your regular job, and your quarterback's flipping out of the pocket, going this way, going that way, and it's hard for you to, you know, keep your your blocking assessment right and not hold, get a holding penalty at the same time. I mean, we have to, in my eyes, for Russell Wilson to be successful this next year, we have to coach the O line completely differently. We have to coach them completely differently and figure out how they can can kind of you know form a pocket and make Russ make plays how he's most comfortable doing them. And then also, like you said, I don't think this late in his career that he's still that pure pocket passer that he once was when he was younger. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just feel also we gotta you know more, utilize his legs better, but it's kind of hard for the offensive line at times when he's moving like that. Yeah. Um... I would say him going into the season, you know, he said he wanted to be more of a pocket passer. But I think with Russ and the coaching staff didn't realize was, you know, that if you want to be a good pocket passer, you can't hold on to the ball that long like Russ was, holding the ball that long. Yeah. I mean, if you look at some of the greatest pocket passers, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, they get the ball out quickly. They get the ball yeah. out, two-step drop, one-two read, and they got it off. And Russ, you, you can't hold on to the ball like that. And some of that has to do with play calling because you look at a lot of those guys, they – wide receivers ran – just a slant or a stop, you know, a go and stop or anything like that. And they just, I mean, everything's about game planning. If you going if you want Russ to be that pocket passer, you gotta, you gotta, they gotta adjust to him getting the ball out quicker and calling the right place for him to do that. I mean, you can't tell him to be a pocket passer. You gotta get the ball out quick. And Jerry Judy's running a post down the field or Corlin Sutton running the go route. And, Greg Dolchik is running a corner. I mean, there's got to be some quick throws in the middle of the field that Russ is going to have to make. See, and the issue with that is it all ties back to his processing. I mean, I I specifically remember this play from the um, – I believe it was the Jags game. Wasn't he um like the first play, he throws a go route like as soon as he catches a snap. And it got picked. And yeah, and it got picked. He didn't even process the field. That's the issue with him. When he wants to get out the ball fast and change his approach – He's not processing processing the field like how a quarterback should, so that's that's a bit of an issue. He forces the ball in the places but, where it shouldn't when he gets the ball out fast. Yeah, I agree. But also, if 
that's the game plan. Why why is Corlin Sutton running a go route? I mean, that's majority True. of Corlin. True. If you watch Corlin Sutton, majority of his routes outside are go routes or comeback routes. He doesn't do anything. He never really runs a slant. slant. True. I mean, I mean, but he runs a lot of his slants in the inside. Outside is is going to be a go or a comeback. And yeah. I mean, you're not going to get the ball out quick with those routes. I mean, that I mean, I just think that's the way we got to approach our offense. Got to get the ball out quicker. I mean, you got to call plays for him to be able to get the ball out quicker. I mean, because it was. I mean, because it looked like Russ don't even know how to do that. I mean, because if you watch some of the games, the game against the Colts when he had KJ wide open, the first game he had uh, the tight end wide open, and Shannon Sharp was like, "Russ, hit the tight end, hit the tight end." I mean, just he just he's got to work on that too. I mean, got to get the ball out quick, but you have to actually. You can't just always look down the field. You got to check off your reads. Exactly. It's kind of like exactly. Drew Locke a little bit. And I I really want to see him fix that this offseason. I mean, the processing definitely needs work and development. Um, you know, he's he's 34, so I want to see this improved for week one next year for yeah. sure. Um, and you made a good point about the scheme too. I mean, in, early in the season with Hackett's play calling, everything downfield takes so long to develop. Like scheme up things that are going to be, you know, you're going to have your X receiver get open in the middle of the field and your you know, other opposite receiver is going to distract the stretch the field. Your slot receiver is going to make it, you know, cut inside, zit, dig route or whatever it's going to be. I mean, just give something that's going to be easier for him to assess his options, not plays that are going to take 20 seconds to develop. Uh, and, and also, I'm just going to say this. I love Corlin Sutton, one of my favorite players. But whoever's the next coach, he's not Devontae Adams like Nathaniel Hackett thought he was. He's not DK Metcalf. He's not going to just run by a defender that quick. I mean, he's he's really good, but he's not like – I mean, it was some plays. They just hiked the ball and Corlin Sutton, and they expected him to be already past the DB. That's not who Corlin Sutton is. Yeah. I mean, it's just they, they gotta they gotta figure out what they're gonna do with him because I know Albright wants to see him in a Mike Evans role, but I don't even think that's gonna work if I'm being honest. Um, with Russ, I don't know. I mean, because Russ got work on his reads. That's that's the main thing for me with Russ. I mean, mm-hmm. he's got to take what's in front of him. I mean, because you want him to hit um, Corlin Sutton and Kendall Hinton, whoever else is on the outside, Jerry Judy. I mean, Jerry Judy's quick enough to get open, but not. I mean, not they gonna have a safety over the top all the time. I mean. Just got to be quicker. I mean, it was a little cool to see him kind of – he kind of improved it this last week. Uh, whenever he wasn't seeing something down the field as quickly, he would hit Jerry Judy, um, you know, underneath. That's why Jerry Judy had seven catches but only 38 yards. So, I mean, he was at least using uh, Jerry Judy as a blanket receiver. And also, uh, in the beginning of the season, we weren't really, you know, seeing this much of an issue because Javante Williams was a big threat in the backfield as a receiving back every time Russell Wilson wasn't seeing something boom he's throwing out throwing it out on a, a drag route to uh, uh, you know Javante Williams or you know check and swing I mean anytime he yeah. kind of wasn't seeing something Javante Williams is the guy and losing him kind of I don't know we just couldn't replace it for some yeah. whatever reason yeah but but what I will say is this going into next season let's not make the same mistake and have two downfield uh running backs him and Melvin Gordon let's get a receiving back in there so Javante won't have to make all those catches coming out the backfield and playing yeah. all these snaps and stuff because he got hurt. And I feel like, you know, we just – like I think that's why I say bringing a guy like Chase Edmonds or just bringing a guy similar to Chase Edmonds that can catch the ball and run with it out the backfield. I mean, God rest his soul, but kind of like a Ronnie Hillman almost, a guy that's going to come out the backfield and catch some balls and be quick with it. I mean, we, we didn't have that. And, I mean, you keep giving Javante the ball like 30 times a game, he's going to end up getting hurt. Like, that's any running back. So, yeah. Jameer Gibbs, please. 
But no, nah, I don't, I don't want a running back early if I'm, I'm just joking. I mean, Jameer yeah. Gibbs is a beast, dude. I, I love Jameer Gibbs so much, but we need to get someone like the fourth, fourth-ish round, maybe third. So, yeah, I don't – but, yeah, you're right. We really we really need a dynamic receiving back, and Chase Edmonds just showed flashes, but injuries have been an issue. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I don't really know. Man, I was watching um, – everybody was watching. Check out that running back for Tulane. I don't know. Now I don't know if he's gonna declare, but I, I was watching tape. I was watching the game against USC. He was killing USC. And then um, they were bringing up stats where he's like been one of the most underrated players in college football. He's had like I think he scored a touchdown in so many consecutive games. He's getting like over 100 yards every single game. If he declares, wow. we got to we got to at least try to go get somebody like that in the later rounds. But yeah. but that's all going to depend on the head coach too and what they. This is to. a, I still haven't. Um, I've only evaluated like five ish running backs so far. I really need to get in the um, you know, lower um portion. But I I heard that this is a really stacked running back class, and that's saying something because even in the weaker running back classes, you can still find really effective guys to you know insert in your NFL offenses. I will preach every single time we record on this podcast, and running back is the most replaceable position. I it love Javante Williams so, so much, but we could, you know, he he's probably a different conversation. I, I personally believe Javante Williams is, you can't really replicate what he does. But other than that, running back is so replaceable. You can find guys in the fourth round that will be effective starters for you. Pick up four yards of carry if you need it. Yeah, I mean, but also you got to be careful, though, because you got to make sure let's not do the same mistake we did and go get somebody like Melvin Gordon who just can't hold on to the football. That's that's something that we can't do. I hope I mean, I, hope I, never I mean, I mean, I mean, because that's that's the thing around Lee. Everybody says run back is replaceable until you do what we did and got rid of somebody who never fumbles and who's really good at his position and bring in somebody who just costing us games every, almost every single week. And I just hope if we get another running back, please evaluate the fumbles because if that's one thing I miss about the old NFL, man. Guys, guys wasn't dropping the ball and fumbling the ball like 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 how they are now. It's just it's ridiculous. So what I'm hearing is don't draft the running back from Wisconsin. Yes, yes. Do not just stop. Even Please. JT has his fumble issues. I swear, bro. Take take a Bama running back, some a running back that's been in college. Just all you gotta do is just look. well coached ball. Carrying. Well coached ball carrying. I mean that's key. I mean, I mean Javante fumbles sometimes, but it's not that bad. It wasn't as bad as Melvin Gordon. He has like three or four career fumbles, and none of them only one of them is recovered by the defense. So I mean, any any fan that's trying to use that in assessment to you know compare to Melvin Gordon, please stop. Yeah, that's that's why I'm still upset Philip Lindsay is gone. I mean, the dude didn't fumble at all. I mean, we let him go for somebody that just constantly turned the ball over. That still hurts me, man. Philip Lindsay was on such a great arc, and then Pat Shermer comes in and fucking ruins everything. And that Phil, wasn't Pat Lindsay Shermer, was that, that was that that was George Payton. George Payton brought in Mike Boone. And I mean Mike Boone he's somewhat okay but that was just that was ridiculous. That I was don't know ridiculous. yeah cuz yeah I mean uh Phil Lindsay was shining under Pat Shermer in like his uh rookie season so it was something I remember they did something to the the running game where they tried to like run it up the middle more. I realized that Pat Shermer was trying to call more plays running up the middle and then Pat obviously like you said George Payton bringing in Melvin Gordon and just It's because they was the same. Well no, so here's the thing when they start they started running up the middle more because they got Melvin Gordon. If you if you look at Phil Lindsay before when it was just him and Royce Freeman in the backfield, you kind of see the more of the out Side runs, the screen passes, and that's what Phillip was most effective. But when they brought in Melvin Gordon and decided, okay, we're going to run a two-back system, and they ran a two-back system, we're going to run it up the middle. Phillip's not that good running up the middle because he's not that big of a guy, and that just well, killed everything. 
Why couldn't they just have Melvin being the up the guy up the gut guy and then have Philip Lindsay be, you know, kind of like the Marlon Mack Chase Edmonds role that we're trying to do right now? Pat Shermer. Exactly. I mean, he, <laughs> I really do. I really do blame him for kind of ruining Philip Lindsay in a sense. It, it sucks, man. I, I don't know what they were trying to do with the running backs that year. And Philip Lindsay has just not been the same. He was on the Dolphins, the Colts, the Texans. He did pretty good he on the Dolphins. He, he he did pretty good on with the Dolphins, but everybody else was just nah. I mean, and I mean, I, I was I was watching the Colts too. I'm just looking at them and they got running backs just fumbling, just fumbling the ball carelessly. And I'm like, well you have Philip. He's not gonna he's at least not gonna cough it up. Just, <laughs> he'll, he'll get you a yard, but he's not going to come. Yeah, he'll get you about three yards, but he's not going <laughs> to fumble it. Yeah. I mean, that's running backs are still really replaceable, but I mean, holding on to the ball is the most essential thing as a, a carrier in the NFL. And Melvin Gordon couldn't even do that. So, I mean, please just uh, make sure the most obvious thing as a running back is, th- you know, sustainable. One thing I will say, Denver has a history of picking up and drafting running backs with those problems. Look at Monte Ball. That's yeah. the reason why he couldn't last in Denver. He couldn't hold on to the ball. You know, that makes you unplayable. And Denver has a history of doing this. So let's just hope whoever Denver draft isn't somebody. I mean, Javante's the only guy that hasn't been that in Phillip, but Phillip was undrafted. So, I mean, we just got to hope Broncos don't just, if they take one in the fourth or fifth round, please look at the scouting report. Please look at that fumble number. That matters. Yeah. We don't care if a guy's quick. Got to hold on to the ball. Yeah, one thing we can kind of hang our hats on is Broncos almost always have a good running back. So I'm sure we'll yeah, I'm sure do. we'll figure this out uh, in the sixth year. I mean, C.J. Anderson, Javante, uh, Melvin was good before his fumbles. <laughs> um, Philip Lindsay, obviously, like we talked about, uh, Ronnie Hillman. I mean, you could just go on. I mean, I will say, I mean, I wouldn't even put Melvin in that category because Melvin's first game he fumbled against Tennessee. Wasn't that his first game as a Bronco? Uh, yeah, it was. I don't remember the fumble though. You're probably yeah. right though. I don't remember. He fumbled. He fumbled his first game. It was like, yeah, it was like on. I want to say second or third down, handing the ball off, and he fumbled. And I, I was really happy that we got Melvin Gordon too. But my family, they're Charger fans. They tried to tell me. I didn't listen. I still can't believe we signed him to a two-year, sixteen million dollar deal. We're acting like he's Christian McCaffrey. Like, come on, John Elway. <sighs> I ain't surprised. Uh, yeah, John Elway had to leave his mark before he knew he was on his way out. <laughs> Dude, I'm such a big John Elway, John Elway hater. Everybody knows that. Man, I do not like I do not like John Elway, the general manager at all. His decisions, some of his decisions were just absolutely atrocious. Just when horrible. I went, quick little story. When I went to the, I'm not gonna say specifically who this was, but when I went to um tour the Broncos Stadium and I was talking to people that worked inside, um you know their facility, I was asking people about like you know DT had just passed away after this. And they were just talking so much shit about John Elway, dude. These are people inside the organization. I hope th- I hope this doesn't get clipped and sent to the the organization. But people do not like John Elway there. I'm he's a drunk. You. He's a drunk. That's why oh they don't like God. him. He is. I mean, he he's got some. I'm telling you, like something's wrong with John Elway. I knew, dude. You no, know, the the moment I knew something was wrong with John Elway was was when, was when he sat there after he won the Super Bowl and was like, you know what? Let's keep Shane Ray. Let's let Shaq Barry walk. <laughs> you know, Shane Ray didn't even make the roster. No, 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 no. Shane Ray made the team, but but the year after that was gone. Shaq Barry won almost. Didn't he win defensive player of the year? He was close. No, he did the league in sacks. Yeah, he had like 18 and a half sacks, something crazy. Not, like not to mention he took Eric Decker over Jordy Nelson and Monte Ball over Eddie Lacy. So that the, those are just some. 
drafted uh, Paxton Lynch. He definitely remember John Paxton Lynch is the guy. He's our guy. Paxton's our guy. Oh, he is. So yeah, that's okay, speaking of the drunk thing. I remember two years ago we released our schedule release, and they had at the end him on the scooter, and he nearly fucking fell over on the scooter during the release, and they still posted it. So that just says enough in itself. Um, I'm telling you, man. Jack John Daniels. Man. Jack Daniels. I'm telling you. That man there, he, man. He got his fat extension as a GM and then just said, screw this shit. Yeah, I mean, he tried, bro, to us, he, he tried to convince us that Joe Flacco was still in his prime. And like Case Keenum was worth the $64 million that we threw at him. The dude, he pronounced his name wrong in his press conference. Bro said, yeah, this is our new quarterback, Case Keesum. I mean, uh, <laughs> wait, who, who do we trade for? Yeah. Or, yeah. See, it's crazy. Yep. Sound about right. Yeah, and then it pissed me off this offseason. They were trying to. He was like including himself in the drafts. Shit. Like, bro, you you don't know what you're doing. Stop. At all. Like, just chill, man. Like, George Payton got it. George, he just be in the room, just looking. <laughs> he was laughing when they were watching the Russell Wilson highlights during the ninth overall pick, and he was just all over them by all over there by himself. Uh, yeah. it was hilarious. Who want to be? I mean, I'm telling you that. Nobody, nobody likes him in that building anymore. It just—I mean, he, he'll always be one of the best quarterbacks to ever play for Denver. But I don't think nobody really likes him in that building. Yeah, I, I don't know. He just like—I don't know if he turned into something else, his ego and stuff. But I was watching John Elway highlights the other day, and you know, obviously a great player. We can't deny that. I mean, he—the way he transferred the quarterback, transformed the quarterback position. You know, being like a mobile guy and being able to throw—you know—crazy spots is obviously crazy, but. After he after he got us these three these Super Bowls and left, I don't know. He's just been – I don't know what's kind of gone into his head. only good thing he's done was draft DT and sign Peyton Manning. That's pretty much yeah. Oh, and Vaughn Miller too, but that was just – anybody could have done that. He was sec- you have the second overall pick. Like, if you fucked that up, then you should have been fired the day after. Which, oh, by man. the way, that, that reminds me. I saw somewhere – um, before we close off this episode, I saw somewhere that the Broncos are potentially, um, you know, since George Payton has already done a lot of the draft work for this upcoming draft, that they might fire him like literally the day after the draft and just use him for the draft. I saw like a rumor about that, which that would be crazy, but we've actually seen that happen before. That's crazy. I don't actually, think we do that. that, that that's that's crazy. That I mean, would be crazy. I mean, I, I will say, I mean, you might as well keep him at that point. I mean, if, if he's, I mean, he does really well in the draft. I give him that, especially around the higher rounds. I mean, we got to still see about Nick Benito, but I mean, everybody else he's drafted has been pretty much has been kind of pretty solid. Yeah. I give him that. Yeah, yeah. So really good conversation today. Um, back half of you know episode was really fun. Um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Um, we got plenty more episodes coming. Uh, this is the last week of the season, man. This is crazy. It's uh, Chargers week, and uh, after this, it's over, man. This is this is crazy, man. Um, if it was still a regular NFL season with just 17 games and, um, you know, season would have been over, we are, we would be talking about draft content right now, but yeah, this is crazy, man. Last, last game. Hopefully we can get a win. Cause, um, right now four and 12, uh, does not feel good at all. I mean, and, um, if, if, if it's anybody we could beat, it's the chargers. That's, that's, we, if it's we anybody we could beat, one. it's the chargers. We always win yeah. against the chargers. This is, let's just pray. Justin if we Herbert go 0 and go. six, yeah. If we go 0 and six in our division, holy cow, that that one's gonna stink. For I mean, it, it's in Denver. You remember what Justin Simmons did? I mean, uh, Justin Herbert did last year in Denver. Passed our ten, picked him off twice in that pick six. I mean, we just let's just hope we get something similar to like that. If Russ can can score points, yeah. PS two son. 
Um, by the way, Patrick Mahomes is PS2 son too. It's it's really uh, it's really um, he picked cool them out twice, didn't he? Yeah, he picked them out twice. Yeah, last year on Sunday Night Football, um, the game that we should have won. Uh, thank you, Drew Locke, for throwing the interception to Tyron Matthew. Um, and then and then this and then this year, obviously had the insane interception. I mean, that was inc- incredible to you know pick that off the ground. But yeah, like that, um, that was crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then this previous game, he had he had zero targets against PS2. He was scared shitless to throw his away. So that was hilarious. He's top two in the league. I don't know if, if you're going to. I mean. I've only seen him really have two bad games with Devontae and um, DJ Moore. But, I mean, yeah. other than that, Patrick Sertan's been amazing. Every corner is going to have bad games. You can't yeah, sit every, here. And, every corner is going to have a bad game once in a while. I mean, unless you're Darrell like – Darrell Revis, Champ yeah. Bailey. You look at the greats. Yeah, I mean, every corner is going to get, you know, got once in a while. But Patrick Sertan, I mean, to me, he's top two. I I got him and Sauce right now. Him, Sauce, and Woolen, Diggs, and all those other guys. They're in my top four, top five. Fair, fair. Um, so yeah, really good episode. Hope you guys enjoyed. Um, make sure if you're listening on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe button right now. Make sure to check the description for all of our podcast availability, all of our social links. Make sure you go follow uh, my boy Jordan on uh, TikTok, JMX Sports. Great stuff he's doing over there. Um, appreciate you as always, man. Um, you know, great 2023 coming up. Um, you know, appreciate you always as the co-host on this podcast, man. Just want to say thank you, man. Appreciate no you, problem, brother. Man. Um, it's no going to be really, really good uh, show coming for the rest of this year. Lots of support, man. Recently, lots of you guys commenting on um, the views have been spiking on the podcast. Seriously, I, you know, I sit there late at night looking at you guys as, um, com- you know, just a few comments and the people watching. It really does mean a lot to me. I mean, you look at that Benjamin Albright episode, it blew up. I mean, I didn't even think it was going to do that well. And, you know, really appreciate the guys, everybody that's taking the time out of their day to listen to the episode. Um, you know, still up. You guys can go still listen to that. It's out, you know, um, you know, doing really well. Uh, obviously, our last episode did really well reacting to the Chiefs loss. Um, thank you guys for just taking time out of your day to come listen to the podcast. Um, obviously, a scary night, that uh, scary night last night, you know, watching that Bills Chiefs game. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, uh, you know, Bills players can come back eventually when the, the time is right and, you know, play their hearts out for DeMar Hamlin. Very scary side to see. Um, hope you guys enjoyed um, all of today's episode discussing everything, the potential um, candidates that we're going to be seeking for the Broncos next head coach position. Um, if you guys are listening on Spotify, Apple, Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave a rating, follow, have notifications on so you never miss an episode of the Broncos Avenue Podcast. Hope you, enjoy, hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Until the next one, peace.